Yes. Hi guys, this is uh, Bill Farrell. Welcome back to another episode of Rock Bottom to Recovery. This is episode 36. Our guest today is Morgan Veda. Smile. Hi. Hi. <laughs> we are live, so um, if you're watching this live and you know somebody that's struggling with addiction or a family member that's struggling with addiction, please share it to their page and they can watch it and maybe they get a little bit of information. Um, this podcast is all about uh, recovery. Um, uh, recovery is different for every single person. If you check out our past episodes, everybody has a recovery story. It's always somewhat different. Um, today, Morgan's going to talk to us about her recovery story. Um, Morgan is a, uh, a friend of mine, and uh, we've known each other for uh, four years. My God, it, it, can I ask you, seriously, be honest now. <clears throat> when you met me, wasn't that a great time for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was great, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a great time. <laughs> so um, so um, let's talk about um, how you got started. So like what age? I, as you're talking, I'm paying attention. I just need to go on here and find out exactly where we're at so I can share this because we are supposed to be going live. So how old are you when you? Uh, I used my first drug at age 13. So 13? What was it? Pot. It was weed. It was. What do you think about them? Um, legalizing marijuana um honestly i don't think it's a good idea okay that's cool i think um, it's an unnecessary risk unnecessary risk okay um so did you smoke cigarettes yes what age did you start 13 smoking? 13 so we'd say cigarettes was the first one yes nicotine mm -hmm. let's not say cigarettes let's say nicotine okay that's still an addiction isn't it it is quite the addiction. We were just having that conversation, it's weren't we? The hardest one I've <laughs> so far. Well, they say it's supposed to actually be the hardest one to quit anyways. It seems that way so far. So, so far for you, yes. Yes, but, definitely yes. Um, so, all right, so you started smoking marijuana, hanging out, doing what teenagers do? Pretty much, yep. Hanging out with your friends, smoking a little weed, doing a little drinking. Uh, I started drinking about 14 or 15. So you just smoked weed for the first, what, year and a half? Yeah, I didn't really smoke that much in the beginning. I didn't, I didn't like the tired feeling. Of what? Uh, the, of the marijuana. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm more like a, I like to be up and wired. Yeah, you're, you're kind of a... Manic. You're going. You're like... So, yeah. All right, so you started drinking and then, so 14 and... Yeah, 15 started with taking Percocets here and there. Um, Where'd you get the Percocets? My first one I got from my friend's mother, actually. What? I asked for Advil, and all she had was Percocet. She told me to split it. So I said, okay. Um, and you split it? Yeah. And how'd that make you feel? Um, it felt great for a couple hours. I remember just sitting there hanging out. Didn't really do anything, though. Just just sat there. Just, just kind of mellow? Yeah, just sat there. Felt good. Talked a lot. Itched a lot. So even back at 14, you talked a lot? Yeah, I mean, I've been talking a lot my whole life. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, um, all right, so you started using Percocets and then what happened? Yeah, um, you know, I experiment with some other drugs, I, uh, like Special K and Ecstasy, but uh, mostly like opiates were my thing. Um, I did start doing coke when I was like 17. I, Where'd uh, you get all this stuff? Is it just like, I mean, I know I know you can get it. People, anywhere. you know, uh, be out at a party and someone would have something and say, hey, you want to try it? And then, you know, you want it again, so you call that person. And then, Eventually, you know, it branches out and you can find other connections to get each thing and go through the list until you get get what you want. You just keep trying. So, 
uh, let's just jump back real quick. Special K, tell people what that is. Um, it's ketamine, it's a horse tranquilizer, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't remember that entire summer, really. Um, because of the special K? Yeah, yeah. Wait, how often were you taking it? I took it, uh, I got them out that summer, that's the only time I ever took it, was that summer. Um, group of kids I was hanging out with were all doing it. I was the only one not doing it, and then um, I, uh, you know, because of addiction running in my family, I swapping down. I would never do drugs, and then it was like I had smoked pot, so drinking wasn't like a big stretch from there. And then once I started drinking, you know, a perk wasn't a big stretch. And uh, but I swore I'd never put anything up my nose because I thought like that was crossing the line. And then they were all doing it, and it was just like this little tiny, tiny bit powder, and. Uh, it was like an instant, instant high, and and I really barely remember anything from that summer, and um, I was so, 16. So you were 16, and your thought process was uh, hanging out with older guys, a whole other crew. And that was kind of cool, right? Hanging yeah. out with the older kids. Yeah. Uh, well, it was cool at the yeah. time. They were not looking back. They were not very cool. Yeah. Well, isn't, isn't that, <laughs> I think we can all agree on that one, uh, yeah. looking back on the things that we've done, probably mm. not too bright, not too cool, which we thought mm. was at the time. But, um, so, so you did the, um, so 16. Yeah. D didn't really, I, didn't, I don't really like the psychedelic things, like the hallucinating wasn't really my thing, so I didn't do that again after that. I uh, just mostly um, drank, took parks, smoked, and started doing coke at 17. Now, you were in school, right? Yep. And how was school going? Uh, I hated school. I got in trouble in school a lot. got kicked out of school a lot. Um, got grounded a lot, suspended a lot. And uh, Your mom do that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, <laughs> she, you know, she tried really hard with me, but I didn't, I didn't make it easy at all. Right. And, uh, you know, people, you don't know what you don't know. So she tried everything with me, and uh, people were just, I think, I think the end conclusion was like that I was just a bad kid. And uh, it really wasn't like I, you know, I was suffering, and I was just trying to get the ease and comfort that comes with that first drink. And I just tried to continue it to make my pain go away. And um, you know, after after high school, I got into a bad relationship, and um, there was a lot of different kinds of pain in that relationship, plus the pains of my life experiences up to that point. And um, can you talk about that pain a little bit? Like w what you were experienced, were you experiencing guilt, shame, anything along those lines? And yeah, and so I mean, I experienced my first trauma in first grade. Um, uh, so I don't know. I don't really like to. So yeah, I, I had a trauma in first grade. Yeah. Um, didn't tell anybody. Didn't really know exactly what was going on. I just knew <laughs> something wasn't right, but I kept it to myself. Mm -hmm. um, by third grade, my father had been in and out of detoxes and jails and arrests, and um, my mom tried to protect us from that. So she looked like the bad guy, and uh, I blamed her. And um, in third grade, she packed up me and my sisters, and we moved to Holbrook mm -hmm. and uh, left everything I knew behind. So again, I like resented my mother for that and blamed her, not knowing what was going on. And um, so things kept continued. I have um, I have an alcoholic uncle who was abusive. Um, my grandmother was uh, mean, mm -hmm. just extra mean, mostly to me. I had yeah. a big mouth and could not shut it for the life of me. And uh, yeah. so I was always in trouble, always acting out, and um, it just kept continuing. So I got in trouble in school. Um, so this uh, uh, cycle of um, rebellion. Yeah kicked in and just... I think I just felt like everything in my life was 
so outside my control. I just tried to find one thing I could have control of, and that was with my dad's behavior. Yeah. Like, I just wanted some form of control in my life. Um, so you get, so you, did you graduate school? I did. Um, I got kept back freshman year. I was kicked out of school for having too many days suspended. Mm -hmm. And um, so junior year, they told me, like, I'm not going to graduate with my class. Um, or it would have been, like, sophomore year or something. And they were going to keep me back. And I said, well, if you're going to keep me back, I'm going to drop out. And uh, I made them give me, so I did, like, day school, night school, and a work-study yeah. program my senior year so I could graduate on time of my class. Or so I was going to drop out. And... Um, they did, and I, I did end up graduating on time. So you did the all those, the day yep. classes and everything. Yep. Isn't, that, isn't that like, um, that, you know, to people that come on and talk about addiction, and you know, um, <laughs> somehow they've always kind of made it through, like, school yeah. and... Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I feel like in my life everything was a struggle, but in the end it always, like, like I might have been late or not completely the way I wanted, but it always seems to come through like um last minute like every yeah. last minute we're very unorganized when you know <laughs> living in chaos like my life has been non-stop chaos through my using and so for since what say 13 all the way before that yeah yeah chaos yeah chaos <clears throat> so you get through school um what did you do once you graduated high school uh after i graduated high school i started, I got into a very unhealthy relationship for two and a half years. Uh, I was isolated from my friends, my family. Um, I put up with a lot of physical, verbal, emotional, and sexual abuse all the way around. And uh, he fed me a lot of pills. Yeah. Started um, when I started smoking crack, um, shoot, um, sniffing coke, smoking it, taking a lot of um, like OCs and Percocets. Yeah. Um, so you'd pretty much take anything that was available? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's all we looked for, really. We didn't search for anything else yeah. at that time. Um, I I remember, like, when OCs came through in high school, like, I didn't really like them. I didn't think they really did much for me. I liked the perks better. Yeah. Um, I liked the coke because I liked the wired yeah. energy being up all the time. And uh, I just didn't like the, the end of it when it was gone, coming down. And uh, the Percocets helped with that. So, yep. or smoking pot afterwards. And, um Yes, yeah, so I was in that relationship for two and a half years. Um, I thought that uh, that I could save him and fix him if I put up with all of it long enough that he yeah. would see and, and he would change, and that almost never happens. No, it doesn't, does and, it? Um, nope. So um, I finally uh, got up the courage to have my, fa my ask my family for help, and I left them. Um, What'd your family do when you asked them for help? They always help me. They yeah. always come through. Might not always be the help I want. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's not always the help I need, but they're always there trying to do something. They're always um, um, kind of giving you the right information to a point. To the best of their ability. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's better. That's put a better way, I guess. Yes. So um, how, did, how, how did your um, addiction affect your relationship with your family, with your mother, with Nobody your wanted me to be around. Um, I couldn't be trusted. I lied, cheated, stole. Um, I didn't show up for occasions. If I did show up, I was messed up. I was, you know, irate, out of control half the time. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, managed passive bipolar mm -hmm. um, on top of, like, depression, anxiety, ADHD. So you had, like, a dual diagnosis? So yeah. Yeah. 
What's that called? Um, isn't there another? Um, co co Poly, co occurring? No. What? Co I don't know. Anyways, uh, we'll have to get a doctor on to talk about that stuff. Yeah. But no, it's uh, it's dealing with the mental health side of it and addiction. So like one feeds the other. Uh, yeah. So, so like, um, you know, I. In order for me to deal with my addiction, I need my mental health in check, and yeah. vice versa, because they go hand hand in hand. You need right. to be mentally stable to practice a life of recovery, like just vice versa. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I've been, I was unofficially diagnosed at 15 with the bipolar because I was still a child. They couldn't diagnose then. Um, I started medication at 20. Um, I spent. 12 years on every psych med you could think of, sleep meds, everything. Nothing really ever helped or, you know, didn't do anything. It either um, made it worse or... Suboxone, methadone, all that stuff too? Um, I did use Suboxone maintenance. I've used methadone for detox, not for maintenance. Um, I mean, I guess it helped at the time. It's, yeah. You know, it's better than sticking a needle in my take, arm. Take the edge off. But um, I never <laughs> took it as prescribed. Yeah. Like any good addict. You abuse that. I, I abuse everything. I abuse <laughs> coffee. I, I, you know, I abuse, I abuse Cigarettes, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's our, it's the nature of an addict. Like right. once too many, a thousand is never enough. I, it's, I think it's the nature of human beings. Yeah. Yeah. We, it, well, somebody's always abusing something, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be food or, or alcohol, um, pornography. We've done something on pornography, um, sex. Um, uh, working out, yeah, uh, all kinds of stuff, but it's all different forms of substitution. So, um, when did you go into your first uh, rehab? Twenty-one. I went to my first detox. Um, so say so say from thirteen to twenty-one, you were just kind of. Yeah, I didn't have a habit. Yeah, uh, a physically addictive habit at that time. It was all mental. Mm -hmm. um, my first habit. Uh, I had my son when I was 21. Shortly after that, I got into um, prescription scams and I became addicted before I even knew I was addicted. Right. And um, I got in trouble with the law. And, you know, because I'm an addict, I can't stop on my own. Like, I had to be stopped by the law. And so I went to detox and... So um, the law, did you go... Uh, were you in jail? No. No, you never went to jail? No. But you would get picked up for whatever. And yeah. then you had those opportunities to get into, say, programs and stuff? Yeah. So my first detox, my family made me go. It was go or get out. Yeah. Where'd you go? Um, my very first one, I went to Gosnell down the Cape. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. How'd that work out? I mean, I How? was pretty scared. I went. Yeah. I felt um, out of place because, you know, everybody was shooting heroin and I was just taking perks. Yeah. You know, that were prescribed <laughs> by myself to myself. But, yeah. like... Nonetheless, I got the that. So you feel there was, uh, that you didn't belong yeah. with these guys? Yeah, I felt better then. Yeah. And uh, like, I'm not as bad as you. I, I'm, I'm not like you guys. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're all the same. So how, do, how long did that last? So obviously going in with that thought process, you, why did you go? Just because your family was Because my mom said go or get out, and she was, you know, going to take my son from me. Yeah. Well, she wasn't going to take him. My, my decisions were letting him go, right. my choices, now looking back. But oh, oh, I think we took a little ownership there, huh? Yeah. Right, good job. Um, so you got to Gosnold, and how long did you stay there for? Seven days. Seven days, and then what did you Seven-day detox? No, they, yeah. they discharge you after seven days. I promised to go to a detox. I didn't agree to anything else. The deal was go to detox, and I could come home. Date no and outpatient that, program or whatever? I think I did a 
Um, oh, no, I did IOP before that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I did IOP at Gosnell before that. That's how I was able to get the bed at Gosnell down the Cape. Mm -hmm. So I did the IOP first, and um, I went to my, you know, three hour, three hours a day, four days a week or something like that for like three weeks, and I'm supposed to be cured or something, I think. I don't know. You're still actively using them, correct? Uh, while uh, you were doing that, no. or were you? Quite a few years ago, Bill. Really yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, um, so all right. So you get out. Obviously, um, you get back into. Yeah. Eventually, I think you know. Like everything happens, else, it slowly creeps commonly, its way back in, yeah, and you're right back to day one. I learned something. Like so, now I know how to control it, or like yeah. I won't do it this many days in a row. You know, and just um, it's the mental obsession. Like so, you take the drugs and alcohol out of my body, and that's still all I'm thinking about. Right. Once I once they're gone is all the problems I have and that's the only way I know how to cope with them. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing I know that makes me feel normal. And um, so, like as you talked about um, when we first started, you talked about the trauma that you experienced, the bad relationships, um, guilt, shame, all those things that come with addiction. Um, so, do you remember ever dealing with those when you were trying to get clean and sober? Do you feel that I, that might be something that's missing? In, I mean, that usually comes well, I mean, later on anyways, doesn't it? I started therapy in third grade. I, um, <clears throat> by like eighth grade, I knew exactly what to say to the, the therapist to get them to say like, she's fine, she doesn't need us. You know, because at that age, I didn't get to make that decision for myself. And um, I, you know, I'm a mass drug addict, master manipulator, it's like, that's what we do. I, I could say whatever I wanted to say to get the results I wanted and, um, you know, promise I'll do this, I'll do that. I won't do this anymore, and um, as soon as I got what I want, I'm right slowly, you know, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, but right back to my old behaviors. Right. Because I'm still, I'm still a sick and suffering person. So when you get into the rehabs and you begin, now, now you start getting into treatment, so we, we were driving over here, um, you were saying that you'd been in and out of 60. 60-something 60 60-something right? rehabs. So would you, uh, when you got into them and you learned how um, they worked. Would you also use that to manipulate? Yeah. Um, do you find like people will do that once they get into a treatment program? Obviously, <clears throat> you know, I mean, we hear a lot like people go into treatment and it takes, a, it takes a long time for people to get in. So once they get in, they begin to learn how things work. Yeah. It's just a natural instinct yeah. to begin to utilize um, what you've learned to manipulate mm -hmm. um, so you can continue to use. Correct? Yeah, I knew what to say to get certain medications. I, um, I went as far as to say I had a lemon allergy because I didn't like the lemon ices and I wanted the cherry one. Like, that's how it's, I'm, <laughs> I'm not allergic to lemon. Did you get the cherry, though? Yes. Yeah. Or something else because, you know. So the mindset is just a constant. Um, yes, everything. It's not, it doesn't it's not matter just what it is. Alcohol. It's to get what I want. It's just a, um, yeah, yeah. Um, master manipulation. That's yeah. the mind of a... Uh, of someone struggling with addiction, correct? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and it's, it is and it isn't. Um, so I don't want people to think um, we're making fun of that. Not. It's just, but again, the uh, whole purpose of this podcast when we started it was to um, just to talk about recovery so we can educate ourselves. And uh, if somebody's out there um, with a family member or, uh, or if they're struggling themselves, it's just to really, you know, understand where you're coming from or where that person's coming from. So maybe, you know, um, they can help them a little bit better. Um, so <clears throat> name some of the um, treatment places. You, where have you, you've actually, you've gone all, all over. I think you. I haven't gone that far. Haven't you gone, weren't you supposed to go to New Hampshire? 
I did go to New Hampshire for about 24 hours, and then I was politely asked to leave. Yeah. Yeah. How come? They said I was mentally unstable. I um. I'm not exactly sure what happened. Yeah. Um, I know it was like 11 o'clock at night and I was in bed and they sent somebody up to get me and like the guy that runs the place was like, you can't be here anymore and we want you out of here so bad, like I'm going to put the hotel room on my personal credit card so you don't even sleep here. Really? Yeah, because I was out of state. and. You I mean, don't remember what you did though? I mean, I'm not sure. They didn't really tell me what exactly it was. Um, I know I was coming off some medications they didn't accept, but they took me in on them and I don't know if they changed their mind afterwards and just wanted me out. I don't know if it was, um, you know, my street mentality. I was, a, you know, my tough guy, like telling somebody. I was telling somebody stories about um, a past experience yeah. with a fight, and uh, somebody said I, I intimidated somebody or something. Um, Did you scare somebody? Well, I mean, I wasn't talking to the person. It was something they overheard me talking to about talking about with somebody else. So I really, I'm not sure. Um, whatever it was, I it probably was my fault. Um, Have you been in some bad treatment centers? Because, like, um, you know, a lot of times... I wouldn't say, like, they're bad. I would just say um, a lot of them could be better. But, yeah. I mean, it could always be so much worse. I mean, any treatment center I've been in has been better than the places I've been not in treatment right. outside, the, you know, on the streets and everything. Like, um, nothing's perfect. And, I mean, I, I'm i grateful for what I got out of the ones I was yeah. at. Um, it just seems like now as, as um, you know... We're more and more aware of um, the, um, the heroin problem in the country. Um, treatment is getting better. Right. You know, there's so many different things now that people can do in their, their recovery. Um, there's a running club. I had a running club on here. Um, all different types of uh, treatment places but um, that show you how to eat properly, that now are beginning to deal with the mental health side of it. Right, because in any recovery, I mean, balance is really important. Like, your your addiction is a three-part disease, like, physically, mental, and spiritually. Like, mm -hmm. so you need to take care of all three parts. And, like, physically, like, nutrition helps you eat better, you feel better, you do better. Like, you know, like, mentally, like, you meditate, you pray, you do therapy, whatever whatever you need to, like, clear up your headspace. Like, that's going to improve improve your... It's all going to improve your your well-being. And, and um, I mean, for me, like... I, 60-something detoxes, plus every other treatment center I've been in, um, maybe five times I saw an AA book, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what's saving my life right now. That's that's the, the one thing that's been different. The 12 steps? Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, um, so let's, before we get into the 12 steps, uh, we've talked about the 12, 12 steps here, you know, I mean, a lot of people, it, it works for them, obviously. Um, what was it that, finally clicked for you? Was there a particular moment? I, I think, because um, I've, I've, over the last four years, it seemed like for you, and this is just from an outside view, <clears throat> something was clicking every single time. Um, it wasn't like an aha moment, but it just seemed, from what I could see, like, you know, uh, every single time I'd bump into you or I, or I would see you and you would just come out of it, like, you just... Maybe it was like just a little bit at a time was kind of, is that accurate or is that Yeah, just... so, I mean, so all those detoxes I went to was because somebody else told me I had to. Yeah. DCF got involved. My mother was going to kick me out. My mother was going to take my son away. I was going to lose my job. I was losing my apartment. I had nowhere to go. Um, I ran out of money. It was getting cold out, whatever. Like, there was right. always some, 
some other reason I was going. And yeah, obviously, like um, I'm sure most drug addicts want to have healthy, happy, normal lives. Mm -hmm. But like, and I wanted all that, but I wasn't. I didn't want to stop getting high. I just wanted to be okay and get high, and like right. those don't really go together. Yeah, they don't. So work. like, I thought I was smart enough to wait to figure out a way around that, yeah. and I tried. So. You know, I'd go to these treatment centers and I'd get out and I would go to like, you know, 11 meetings a week. I spent, I remember one time I was at 11 meetings a week. I spent like 40 hours a week in groups at High Point mm -hmm. between IOP and early recovery group and parenting group and anger management and like all these other groups. And um, and I tried every everything I could think of. The, the one thing I have not done is methadone maintenance, mm -hmm. but I've done Suboxone, which is, you know, it's all pretty much the same. Like in... Um, uh, like the one, the one thing that's different now, or like the one thing that so twelve years of trying to get clean, the last three years is really the only time I've had any success with being like clean and happy at the same time. And because you could take the drugs away, and I was like I said before, I was still sitting there miserable, hating my life, hating what was going on, and um, not knowing how to deal. So I would end up relapsing or substituting for other outside things, and then relapsing, and. Um, I couldn't understand why, but I had these patterns, and I couldn't get more than like three months clean at a time. And the last like three years, like I finally agreed to go to like further treatment. And I went to a house, and um, when you say further treatment, what does that mean? So you were in a program? Yeah, so it goes like detox, mm. CSS, yep, and then either straight to a halfway house or a TSS, and then a halfway house. So I would never go past like I would go to detox, even CSS, no problem, because I, I mean, I spent a good part of my treatment at Broxton High Point. That was where yeah. I always went, and um, that was where I was comfortable. So I would stay there for detox and CSS. Um, so what's CSS? Uh, uh, clinical Stabilization Unit. Okay. So it's like post-medical detox. When yep. you're, it's just, you know, kind of afterwards while you stabilize. stabilize and, uh, and then you also, like, they, you start looking for your, af planning your aftercare there. Like, are you going to go to outpatient? Are you going to go to halfway house for mm -hmm. other treatment? If you're going to go to a halfway house and they don't have a bed right away, you go to a TSS where they hold you, basically, until your bed's until available. Until something opens yeah. up, right? And, um, so... So most, do most places do that? So there's... They have some type of program, so they just don't really kick you to the straight do they? I mean yeah they do sometimes sometimes they yeah do. so like you go from detox <coughs> some don't some places only have detox and they send you to outside CSS's um, like such as Brock's and High Point they have a CSS <coughs> but so their clients get first dibs on the bed but mm -hmm. outside people come too sometimes and uh like if they're if I'm done with detox and there's no bed in the CSS unit like I'm out the door like they try to find you somewhere else but if they can't right. your insurance doesn't pay for it you're out you get out same thing CSS to TSS like it's it's not always easy to find one no, it's with a bed, especially difficult. for females. It's so much harder. Right. <clears throat> and um, and that would be my excuse to relapse a lot. Well, I tried. It's their fault. Like, they didn't find placement for me. But right. um, the location of my body is not what's going to determine whether I stay clean or not. And and uh, it's 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 not a matter of, like, willpower. It's, it's um, you know, because, like, if it, if it was willpower, I think a lot of people would would have got clean a long time ago and stayed clean a lot longer. But, like, um... It's deeper than that. Yeah, it's a lot deeper. Yeah. And, um... So, um, all right, so now... You, as we were coming in, and I asked you, how, how long have you been <laughs> clean for? How long? Uh, same as everybody else that's clean today. 24 hours. 24 hours. Yeah. Oh, that's the, uh... <laughs> yeah. That's the, uh... So, uh, every day we wake up with untreated alcoholism, it's not, um... 
the 12 steps or any other treatment is no, it's not a cure. Um, every day I go to bed and I wake up, I'm untreated and I have to treat it every day because it's a, it's a daily retrieve from, from alcoholism that I have. That's that one, um, uh, one day at a time. One day at a time. So um, do you find, obviously that works for you. So it to does. wake up every morning and realize that, um, so you, you, you don't put a time frame on it. Um, but you do have uh, a little bit of, you have some distance in there at the I, moment. I so, do have some, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A few um, But for you, obviously, <coughs> um, to wake up every morning and recognize the fact that, um, you know, um, today um, I still have to work yeah. on staying clean and sober. Right. Um, and so how have things progressed? Like, are you... Um, feeling stronger. I don't know, maybe if that's the right word, but <clears throat> you feel better, obviously. I do, I feel great. Even yeah. when things suck, I feel great. Well, it's a, I guess that's probably what I was trying to get to. Because, yeah. um, it, it, you know, as we've said a million times and you hear it in recovery all the time, is life doesn't get, a, doesn't get better, but it gets We get better at handling life. You get better at handling life. Um, it becomes manageable. Right. So what is it that you're doing that's making life manageable one um, day at a time? So, so this, this time around, I, I got to a point where my life was such a mess that, and like, I was so unhappy that I didn't care what happened to me. So it was like, um, I needed to put like my all into like one more try of something that might work. And oh, yeah. I saw, I saw people doing something that I had tried before, but not the correct way. And I saw these people doing it, people that were like me. And, and um, like they came in on a commitment into, a, into High Point and they spoke about it. And, um, and it was the 12 steps, but it was, it was like the way it's laid out in the book. It wasn't, yeah. you know, the watered down version you see a lot. And, and um, you know, they kept talking about God and like praying and stuff like that. And I was like, I had a hard time. Like I believe in God, but I didn't like him. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I was very like resentful and angry towards God because I thought that he is the reason that I went through all the negative that I went right. through and I didn't understand. And um, so, you know, they came in, I, I went on, um, I went into detox to get off the Suboxone maintenance that I had put myself on and was getting off the streets. And um, the plans I had didn't work out. And after being in there for like 17 days, still like kicking some box and feeling miserable, um, my plans fell through for my treatment and, and I decided to take off. Mm -hmm. In a month and a half, I went to like five or six other detoxes and ended up back at Broxton High Point again a month and a half later. A complete, like I went from just like taking like a couple milligrams of Suboxone a day to like I was out, um, like I don't even I don't know, I was out running on Mass Ave for the first time and this was about three three and a half years ago and and Methadone Mile. Yeah, I was up I was up there and yeah, uh, and bad. I thought it was awesome. It was summertime. <laughs> I went to like Boston Cab Detox with a guy and we yeah. got kicked out because you're not supposed to talk and we were and we got kicked out together and we decided to go get high in Boston. I didn't even know where I was. Like I don't remember going in there because we were both so high on the ride up there and yeah. like um, like we, they kick us out the door and I have no, I have no idea where I am or what's going on, but like there's drugs everywhere. And I'm like, this is, it's like beautiful out. It's nighttime. I'm high on a, I smoked K2 for the first time yeah. mixed with the heroin. And I was like kind of tripping a little bit and, and I thought it was like great. I'm yeah. like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like sleeping out in the commons. Like it was like camping without a tent. And, um, 
And then like by like two or three days later, I was like, this sucks, like yeah. this is not fun. Like, and um, like I called my mom and, and my aunt and they came and got us and ended up, I don't know, I got arrested for like four days, spent four days kicking in a jail cell. I got out of there and went back to another detox and like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And by the time I went to Brock's High Point again, I was just like, in a month and a half, I was like just as bad as I was after, and a month and a half where I spent like two days per detox and six different detox. Yeah. So, um, and I picked up like a methadone habit just from going to so many detoxes on top of the heroin habit and I was still kicking the Suboxone and I was like, this is what I signed up for. Like I did this all to myself. Yeah. So I went to I went to detox again, and that same group came in to Broxton High Point again. And uh, like if this if this isn't God, I don't know what it is. But when I when they came in the first time, this girl said something, and she talked about. Um, I remember her a line in the big book. It says, "Alcohol was my master." Yeah. And like she repeated that, but she said like heroin was my master. And I remember being like. I would sit in those commitments, and I would bring a book, and I would read. Yeah. And like when these, this commitment came in, like I couldn't, I couldn't look away when they were talking. And like um, after the meeting, I asked her for her name and her number, and she wrote it inside this notebook with the address to the meeting. And when I came back to High Point a month and a half later, I lost everything I had basically because I was walking the streets and I didn't want to carry it. Mm -hmm. So I just kept, and like pretty much the only thing I made it back to was that notebook, and the only thing in it was her name and number in the no meeting. No kidding. Yeah. So I went to further treatment, and well, I started that going to that meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And, so what did um, you do? Did you give her a call? I did. She was my <coughs> sponsor for a while. And um, I made that group my home group for a while. And yeah. uh, I didn't do what she told me to do. I had problems. She told me to pray. Yeah. I didn't. She told me to repeat the angry man's prayer. I didn't. She told me to write about it. I didn't. And then I kept saying, <laughs> why don't I feel better? Why don't I feel better? And she said, well, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to? And I'm like, God knows what's in my head. I don't have to actually pray. But, like, you do because... Yeah. Like it says, like you need action. You need to show. It's not just belief. You need action. So, um, you know, afterwards when I got kicked out of that halfway house for my behaviors, and I went straight and got high. Why? Well, I, I think it lasted like two weeks, three weeks maybe, and then I went and got high. Yeah. Because I had no, no solution in my life. Right. Uh, it was back to like I was. I thought because I was working and paying my own bills and like, um, buying my own cigarettes. Like my sister wasn't dropping them off to me. Like that. I. I was good. And uh, you were, you were. I was all set. Like, I didn't need anybody anymore. Yeah. Like, and um, everybody, I went to a sober house where like almost all the girls were getting high. So, and that's what I'm looking at all day. And like, that's starting to look good to me because here I am leaving for work at 4.30 in the morning, working all day. And I leave in the morning, this chick is like high as a kite on the doorstep. I come home after 12 hours, she's still high as a kite on the doorstep. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't fair. Like, this isn't right. And uh, like, I want to be high. Yeah. And um, I went for a walk that night down Mass Ave and I got high. And um. And you're right back where you were before. Yeah, and I did that over and over again. And um, same thing. I got I got sectioned to Watsi for the third or fourth time. I've been there four times, and um, you know, I got out. Uh, I was getting out of there, and I got accepted back into that same halfway house. I like begged for a second chance there. They gave it to me, and I got kicked out for my behaviors again. Yeah. And uh, like this time, I found out like. So I tried really hard to, to act appropriately there that time. And, um, and the thing was, is like sometimes like even when you do the right thing, like it doesn't always work out. Like, no, it doesn't. Sometimes God has other plans and uh, you don't have to understand why right now. Like you just have to kind of accept it. And I couldn't. So I went out and got high again. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so then, so where did you get to when you said, all right, I'm done with this? So um, I went to... I, I went back to Mass Ave and I was out there running and um, now I've added like 
meth, crystal meth to yeah. my drug log and uh, not sleeping and not taking care of myself and um, being like a complete disgusting animal on the streets. And <coughs> um, I hadn't seen or talked to my family in I don't know how long. My family, I found out my mother was out walking Boston Commons and Mass Ave looking for me all night long, walking around with my picture and um, like, um, just completely out of my mind, obsessed over the drug. And uh, I was like physically and mentally just exhausted and drained and I just wanted to die. Yeah. And I couldn't understand how I was still alive. Like I just kept getting high, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, I wasn't, you know, it's 95 degrees outside, I'm pouring sweat, you're doing all these drugs, like I should be dead and, yeah. and I'm not. And um, I don't know what happened, I just, I, I've overdosed quite a few times and I, I had overdosed three times in a four day period out there. Um, and I came home, well, I came back to Holbrook and I think I was, my intentions were to go to treatment and on my way, something intervened, uh, somebody called with drugs yeah. and I spent the night getting high in the woods. And um, the next morning, like I went, I went to get high again, like I went to get dope to come down off the coke and, uh, and I overdosed again yeah. in the parking lot, nice and clean. And, and I remember coming out of it <coughs> and um, the person I was with is like, you were just dead in my car. You were just dead in front of me, you were blue. Yeah. And all you care about right now is like, where's your dope? And um, he's like, you're not doing it anymore. And I was like, but I am. Because like, I'm sick right now and I have to. Like, and I'm like scared to death. Like he wouldn't give it to me. And I remember I had just, just a little tiny bit and um, I had it in my pocket because I had to wait for the Narcan to wear off so I could do it. And um, because I was still scared, like I didn't want to die. I just didn't yeah. want to live the way I was living. And um, he was like, you know, you're not doing this with me. Like he had to drop me off. And uh, he, I'm like, well, I can't go home like this. Yeah. So I, I had him drop me off at uh, at my niece's grandmother's, and uh, I went in there like acting like I got the flu or something. Because I did just get out of being admitted to the hospital for like internal bleeding, and and uh, I left AMA. Yeah. And um, so I just acted like I was sick and I was like, I just need to go to detox. Just get me a bed and detox. And I'm on the couch under a pillow and blanket, 95 degrees, pouring sweat, freezing my ass off and my butt, sorry. And, uh, you know, it's I have this on me and I'm like, for the first time, like I just like didn't, it's the first time ever in my life, like I, I had drugs on me and, and I didn't want to do it. Like I thought about like going in her bathroom, like she's not going to leave me alone long enough in the bathroom to do this. I'm going to wait. I got all the way to the detox and... I went in the bathroom and I went to do it and like I shot it in the toilet and I didn't do it. And um like that wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't have that kind of power. Like I'm a drug addict, I can't say no. And and like I just I like beg God, like just <clears throat> kill me now or give me what I need to get better. And um I went to that detox for ten days. I went um to a CSS for twenty nine days and um then I went to a halfway house. I, I made it like 17 days before they kicked me out. And that day, um, I went to go to Pat's program in Boston, and it's right by Mass Ave. And like, um, right as I'm making the decision to like take off Ma down Mass Ave and get high again, yeah. like <clears throat> something intervened again. My phone rang, and they got a bed for me at a retreat in Wakefield. And um, that retreat, I think, is like what what that what I got out of that retreat is what saved my life. What began. Yeah, that's the first time someone opened up the Alcoholics Anonymous book to me and like they read it to me and broke it down to me in a way I could understand it and relate it to my youth and my life and um, like... So you could identify with yeah, it. Yeah, and like 
Um, so like you take a third step there and it's basically saying like you're going to go by God's will instead of your own. And um, I felt like a, like a euphoria and it, it hasn't gone away since. Like yeah. I, I am um, getting a little emotional. Don't don't start <laughs> crying because you're gonna make me cry. No, but it's so. And like, I got a reputation to maintain. I would never let anybody see me cry before, and now I just I really don't care what anybody thinks yeah. because um like what other people what I thought other people thought of me is like what kept me out there using and what yeah. kept me miserable and trying to fit into <clears throat> a place like that I don't want to fit into anymore. And um, the euphoria that was kind of a it was a high, right? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. better than anything I've ever gotten a bag of dope. Tell you that. I can identify with that. Like, I've like experienced that myself. Very yeah. deep spiritual high, yes. like it's just, yeah, that's amazing. So it's always, um, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think um, just so you understand, you know, like that high that you, that you said um, that you have and it's, you're still kind of riding it, it doesn't last. But I don't think it's meant to last So I either. think there's a little bit of a difference. Like in the book right. it says, you know, for some people it comes on slowly and you don't notice it until you look back. Yeah. Other people it hits you right away. It's like a bam. And, <clears throat> and I feel like I do get little waves of it. Yeah. But like um, at the same time, like if I'm feeling like it's not there, if I ask, if I ask, like if I pray for like the failing of its presence, I get it. Yeah. And um, the stronger my connection is with my higher power, like the stronger that, that euphoria is. And like... It's, it's and that's part of the steps, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of making a connection or a relationship. Like uh, I think they say in Christianity, you might say a relationship with God. Yeah. Whatever, you know, whatever your higher power is, whether it be a connection into nature or whatever it is, um, it is a, a spiritual yep. um, connection that, it, that I've seen like really makes the difference in people's recovery. Mm -hmm. But um, it has to be maintained. Right. Um, like you said, and I think it's great. I think it's perfect that you said that every morning you wake up and you recognize that, um, you know, um, uh, I am an addict. Um, and, um, and today is you're just focusing on today, mm -hmm. um, you know, because I think sometimes, you know, we get a certain amount of time under our belt and then we slowly let <clears throat> life begin to creep its way in, Yeah. Um, you know tell you, oh, don't go to that meet. No, you don't have to go here or you don't have to do that. And then before you know it, you haven't been there in a while. And then that voice says, you can't go now. Yeah, you haven't you, been there in this You haven't school. been there. Who are you? You're fine, so what do you need to go for yeah. now? And so I think um, as we talked, like uh, um, Kevin Rosario, you know Kevin. Yeah. I he was I on here. Kevin. He's a big um, advocate of self-care, self-care, self-care. And uh, I believe him uh, when he says that. And I think people need to recognize self-care. You are number one. You can help other people, but you can't help them if you're not helping yourself. Yeah. So what do you do for your self-care? Like? Um, honestly, probably not as much as I should. Um, well, this is good. This is why we have this podcast to remind you. Yeah. That you so, I mean, jump back into that. I pray throughout the day. Um, I, I meditate. I don't meditate as often as I should. But I know, like, when I'm feeling it and, like, I'm starting to feel, like, negative or, yeah. like, resentful or angry or bitter in any way, like, if I just stop and, like, meditate, um, it, like, kind of, like, refocuses me. And, like, I don't know why because it's, like, whatever happened that bothered me, it's not not bothering me now. It's just, yeah. it's not that big of a deal anymore. Yeah. Like, you just, like, I don't know, you just need to, like, kind of take a pause and just be, like, is it really worth it? Or, like, why is this person <coughs> acting that way? You know? And... I don't know what's going on with their life. Like, who knows what, what's going on with them making them do whatever's bothering me. Like, yeah. maybe, you know, it's not their fault or it's out of their control or whatever. And, like, to be honest, it really doesn't matter because I can't control them. Right. I can only control how I react to them. And, like, do I really want to give that person the power to ruin my whole day because 
So you don't really need the drama. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I used to be chaos, and then I would seek chaos, and now I kind of like, I mean, it's nice to watch once in a while, but like, just to be grateful and reminded, like, it's not my chaos. Would you say, would you say that the chaos that you <laughs> got involved with kind of gave you a sense of purpose? Yeah, it was yeah. Some, something to do. Like, it was like, so I have two sisters. One of them was the baby. The other one was the angel. Yeah. Like, there was no place for me, so I... I know who <laughs> the angel was. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm joking anyways, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so just chaos would give you a sense of purpose. Yeah, it was, you know, and, you, but it's you just have to wrong. pay attention to me if you have to discipline me and yell at me and, yeah. you know, figure out what that loud bang was in the other room, like, you have to get up and look, you know, so I got that attention one way or another. Isn't it just like a huge load off your shoulders, a yes. huge weight, just to be able to let things go now? Yeah. I used to get angry when people would tell me to let it go. I'd be like, well, can you write down directions on how to let it go? Like, I want, like, step one, step two. And there yeah. isn't. No, there and, isn't, but. <coughs> and you know what? Honestly, when you're in that moment, that's you don't want to hear that anyways. No. But, I mean, if you can begin to let some of those things go, it really, there's, there's a lot of freedom there, I think, yeah. uh, that helps us. But, um, and so, uh, do you do the meetings? I do. <clears throat> how often do you go? I go to four meetings a week. Four meetings a week. Yep. Do you feel better when you come out? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You always yeah. feel better. Even if like you feel like you didn't get anything out of the meeting or it wasn't a good meeting to go to or I feel like you always feel better when you come out of the meeting. Yeah. Because you feel accomplished at least. At the very least. You did something. Plus it's it, it's kind of um, good to be reminded. Yeah. What what what's you know, um, why you're in recovery, why you're trying to stay clean and sober. And I think um, whether it be a walk in the woods, or I know some people, they like to kayak, get out on the water. Um, I think those, again, those get, come down to that self-care. And uh, it, it could be church for a lot of people. Yeah, it I is go to church, church every Sunday. Uh, yep. Um, and so if you're in recovery, you can go to the meetings. You can also go to church. It's just another, it, it, the way I look at it, it's just another opportunity to kind of be reminded um, of where we're at, why we're here, um, and, uh, you know, kind of get a good solid uh, footing for the week to come because life's tough, yeah. right? Life hasn't gotten better, right? Nope. Well, I mean, it has, but yeah. I mean, what, I, what I meant to say was you still life, have to deal with a lot of this stuff. Life hasn't stopped happening. Negative <laughs> bad things still happen in my life. Um, you, have just, a, you still obviously have a lot of emotional baggage yeah. too. Um, are you working on that? And I am. Um, I mean, a lot of it is just like accepting like that it's happened and there's nothing I can yeah. do about it, but I can take you know, preventative measures, like, you know, if I don't want, you know, the things, uh, like the violence and the aggression and all that in, in, that I was living in the middle of on Mass Ave, like maybe like stay away from Mass Ave. Like, yeah. You know, um, I really don't need to be out there for anything. And um, Do you talk to somebody? I have a sponsor that okay. I talk to. Um, I'm about to start writing a fourth step again. We're mm -hmm. reading again. And, uh, What's the fourth step? Um, the moral inventory. Okay. Make a list. Turn so when you do the fourth step, and just for anybody that's watching or people that will watch, um, how is that beneficial to do the fourth step? Like, so it's basically you take a list of everybody and everything that's ever like made you angry or resentful, and you put it down on paper, and um, and there's, there's it's what's called the turnaround. And you flip and you see like what part you played in it, yeah, or what part you played in somebody else's life in the same action, you know, and um, it just holds you accountable, and it just helps you see like. Okay, like this is what happened. This is what I could have done. This, this, like, um, so it talks about like self reliance and God reliance. And um, 
a lot of the times when those situations happen where I got angry and resentful at other people, it's because I was I was being self reliant. I yeah. wasn't acting um, on God's will, and and so I mean, like it easily could have been avoided. So and, it just gives you an opportunity to take yeah. a, a different look at that situation. Yeah. And That's how, basically how you let <clears throat> things go. Now you write right. a fourth step. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what else is going on? Good in your life? Because we're going to be wrapping this up in a few minutes. But um, I mean... Uh, well, everything's good, like, obviously. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, because of this program, like, um, I went, I've gone on vacations with my family since then. I've uh, been welcoming my family home. Um, <laughs> I'm allowed to leave the main floor without supervision now, yeah. which wasn't for a long time. Um, but um, you know you could see it in your face. Yeah? Absolutely. So when I was talking earlier about how, like, over the four years I've known you, and what I was trying to say was like, all along your recovery, from the moment that you went into that rehab, you're in recovery. Yeah, even though you've 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 relapsed or whatever, and yeah. so like the four years, like I would see you at certain times, and like I think specifically <coughs> of um, last last year's uh, Homer Cares vigil. Was it two years two ago? Two years ago. And you could see it in your face. Yes. There we was cried like in a, the park. I remember. Yeah, I didn't cry. You, you cried. were bawling like a little girl. <laughs> I was maintaining my machismo. <laughs> uh, but um, you could see it in your face. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And. Um, and you could just see there was a brightness. There was you, you were smiling and everything, which is kind of like that that aha moment. So yeah. that was that was awesome. Yeah, that was. I, the I think it was more awesome for me to see you that way because I know you'd been struggling for so long. So um, the uh, relationships with uh, your mother, your sisters, your son, those are obviously um, better. Yeah, um, so much better. Like um, I get to wake up with my son every morning. Yeah, I, you know. Um, my niece and my nephew are allowed around me. Um, <laughs> Which, know. there you go. There's my that's son. That's these pictures that you're watching right now. That's Kyle. Yeah. So it's all good stuff. There they are. So this is, this is recent. This is my son, my yeah. nephew, my niece. And that's there are you. Them right beating there. the crap out of me. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. well, the picture's up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that's all good stuff. Is Gifts that, of recovery. Is that... Um, you know, um, would you have ever expected to be at this point? I mean, honestly, I was at a point in my using where I thought, like, my family would be better off if I just died already. Yeah. And, um, I and that's not the case, is it? No. Um, like, know? no kid wants, <clears throat> deserves to grow up without their, their parent. And, um, but like, no family. parent or sister should have to bury their daughter or sibling. Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, like, like I said, 60-something detoxes. Like, yeah. So if you think like you can't get this or it's too late or you're, you're, you're hopeless, like you're wrong. Like yeah. every, you know. Keep plugging, keep yeah. moving forward. Don't ever stop trying. Because like, um, you know. like, literally, I, I didn't think like, I was ever going to be one to get this. I didn't think that I was ever going to be able to be happier. Like, um, I talked about it in a meeting the other night. Like, all I really ever wanted since I started using was just to feel okay. Yeah. I just wanted five minutes where I could just feel okay so I could catch my breath. And then, like, I'd go back out and fight some more and use some more and, and just wait to die. And yeah. That's crazy. Yeah? That's crazy. And I was okay with that. I you know, start to accept the unacceptable. and like, I don't have to do that today. Yeah. Anyway. No, you don't. And, um, and that's why we're here. And I thank you for coming in and sharing your story. And I hope um, you guys got something from this. I hope, um, you know, if um, you're a family member, um, this, this gives you hope for your loved one. Don't give up, but you got to have tough love, right? I mean, there's a difference between uh, 
enabling and helping and like yeah. it's a fine line so try it's to, a very try difficult to see, line yeah. very very difficult yeah. line any parent can identify with that yeah. um so uh, and, um, but you know if you're looking for help um uh, we are part of the Holbrook Cares Coalition. We meet the first Tuesday of every month. We're going to meet, um, I think it's Tuesday, November 5th. This Tuesday, uh, November 5th. 5th. And the uh, discussion of the night is uh, from a nurse's perspective. And uh, talk, we'll be talking about holistic type of healings that you can do, alternative type of healings. Um, mind, so body, and spirit. Mind, body, and spirit, which is all part of recovery. Uh, what did we say when we were coming in? It's a spiritual... We are spiritual beings having human experiences. Human experiences. And uh, we can fill that hole with anything and everything we want, but it'll never be filled until we right. that, to make a, some yeah. type of a connection to a spiritual. Right. So, But with that said, so uh, we meet the first Tuesday of every month, 7 o'clock at the Holbrook um, Town Hall, and we'll be up there um, this Tuesday, uh, Holbrook Cares Coalition. You can message us. Um, you can go to the Rock Bottom to Recovery page. Uh, we have all the past videos. Like I said, this is number 36. Uh, we are on iTunes and Podbean, so check us out. Share us. Um, if you know somebody who has a powerful uh, story to tell, uh, whether it be a family member, grandparent, somebody struggling, um, message me and let me know. We'd love you to come on and share your story. Obviously, we know that um, through education, uh, we're always learning here. I don't assume to know everything. I don't. I don't even come close, but I learn through the people that come on here. So with that said, thank you very much. Um, have a safe week and uh, take care. Don't Bye. forget to pray. Don't forget to pray. <laughs> so.